0: And some of our SIVs are having to move from house to house right now because they're being hunted. We were live on a secure chat with one of our SIV applicants when he's telling us, the Taliban are in my neighborhood. They're knocking on doors. They're knocking on my door. He went to the roof. We, Christy and I prayed that God would make him invisible, that they would not be able to enter his home and slaughter him and his wife and two children because that's what they would do to collaborators. So we were waiting, holding our breath to hear from him again.
1: Yeah, he turned his phone off to be safe.
0: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So thank goodness he didn't enter the door. He hid on the roof and they, for some reason, did not open the door and invade his home and find his documents and that um these are the we get over 500 messages every day from the 140 people
2: hello everybody and welcome to lancelot's round table today's episode is going to be quite interesting and fascinating i am quite certain um So let's just dive right into the content today. A few months ago, the world watched as some crazy things started happening in a country overseas. On uh, August 26th, I remember seeing video of people climbing onto U.S. military aircraft in this country, in this city, at this airport, trying to get out, clamoring to get out. And I can even remember watching video of planes taking off. And then as the planes were in the air, uh, a couple bodies falling from the, the aircraft, And then I can remember watching the news and watching several videos of the aftermath of suicide bombers going to the airport, and 13 United States Marines lost their lives that day, as well as several innocent people, and I don't know how many were actually wounded that day. And then a few days later, the last U.S. military um, people left Kabul airport in Afghanistan, and since that time, there's been reports of what's going on in the country as the Taliban have taken complete control. I believe they started taking control around the 16th of August. And there are people that want to get out and get away and out of Taliban rule, and they can't. And I, I believe last we heard there's still American citizens that are, that are also there, and several Afghan people that helped. Uh, the United States military fight for years, and there have been stories of United States veterans that have been going over there to extract the people that helped fight and those people's families as well, because not only are the people that helped in danger, but their entire families are in danger as well. And for today's episode, I'm really excited to invite some people that can help bring uh, some additional information, clarity, and education around this entire topic. So, let me introduce first to you uh, Jana. Jana moved by the events of September 11th, 2001, left her job at a tech firm to launch a nonprofit organization and a business venture in Afghanistan that trained and employed women in poverty. Jana is the founder of OneMaker, a 501c3 organization that established business ventures to train and employ women in poverty around the world as well as provided educational sponsorships for girls and vocational training f- for people in poverty. Isaiah 58 is her life defining scripture. Quote, "If you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday." Isaiah 58:10 Her work over the last 25 years among the poor and displaced of the world has taken her to Guatemala, Peru, Afghanistan, India, Kenya, Switzerland, and even South Carolina, where she works with refugees. She has a Bachelor of Arts in Psychology from, I do not know how to say the name of this word. Washita. Washita Baptist University. Uh, a Master of Arts in Counseling, and a Master's in Business Administration from Regent University. In 2011, she was named Regent University's World Changer of the Year. In 2016, she received South Carolina's Palmetto Center for Women's Twin Award, a, quote, distinguished honor presented to women whose outstanding achievements mark them as leaders and role models in business and in the community, unquote. My next guest, Christy, has taken a six-month leave of absence from her job as a VP, Vice President, at a prominent financial institution. She has over 13 years of professional experience in the financial industry with strong background in operations and risk management. She has a heart for refugees and the lost and has spent many hours volunteering with local and international organizations serving the least of these. Christy has served twice at Moria Refugee Camp, co-led a refugee ministry at her church, and is actively, enga- actively engaged with local nonprofit that focuses on welcoming new Americans into the community. Christy holds a Bachelor of Arts in Business Management. Christy, Jenna, welcome to Lancelot's Roundtable.
0: Hi, thank you for having us. Yeah, yeah, it's great to be here. Thank you for focusing on this issue.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I'm thrilled that you both agreed to come on and talk to us uh, about these topics and many more. So we're going to go ahead and dive right in. So, Christy, I want to start with you just because I know more of your story at the moment. And uh, this is really going to be a fun episode because we are utilizing about every piece of technology that we have in the house. We have our new podcasting equipment. We have Jenna, who is in South Carolina, right? Yeah. And she is joining us over uh, computer, video, phone technology, and somehow we were able to get all of the audio and visual to work, <laughs> and Christy is actually here with us live in our studio, <laughs> which is our house. It was so, a big
0: moment to get it all to work.
2: Yeah, right under the wire, right? That's right. Just in time. So, Christy, I know that you have worked here in the area for a while, and you took your leave of absence. And you started doing what you're doing now. So tell us about that process.
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, to back up just a little bit, um, I know when you were um, kind of introducing us, you had mentioned the, the Moria Refugee Camp. And yes. so uh, Moria Refugee Camp is over in Lesbos, Greece. And it is, um, you can actually, it's on an island, and you can actually see Turkey from the island. Oh, and wow. so it's where um, most of the Syrians came through when there was a the Syrian uh, refugee crisis. Yes. And it's also where a lot of Afghans came through. And so I had the privilege of serving there twice in 2019. I went the first time and just fell in love um, with the people. And so I went back. Mm-hmm. The second time when I went back, uh, I met Jana. And so got that it. is how the the two of us got connected. And so when we were serving uh, in Moria refugee camp, it was ninety percent Afghans mm-hmm. in the camp. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was that it was really that time where I fell in love with the culture and the people, mm-hmm. um, you know, of, of Afghanistan. And so, you know, as, as life happens, you know. Came back to the U.S., you know, continued to work, all of those things. And then um, just, just like you referenced, you know, I, I saw those same images mm-hmm. um, in August. You know, Jana had started posting on some social media um, about some, you know, contacts that she had in, in the stuff that, that that they were going through during that time as well. Um, I, I had reached out to Jana, um, you know, just, just to see how she was doing. I wanted to donate some money mm-hmm. um, and then offered to, you know, help with any kind of background, uh, you know, in, in the background work, paperwork that she might need. Um, within two weeks, I was taking a personal leave of absence, you know, unpaid from work I, just because it felt so important. Yeah. Um, you know, this is life and death. Um, for these people. And yeah. I just, I felt compelled to help that there w- really wasn't another option, but, but to focus on this full time. Yeah, that's fantastic.
2: So Jenna, let's turn to you. Uh, let's talk a little bit about, cause I've never read your bio. We only have talked very briefly one time before this recording. So I didn't know your story. So September 11th, 2001, that sounds like kind of a big moment for your life. Uh, I remember where I was on September 11th. I was not going to class at the time. I was going to be going to class later. My dad worked in remodeling, so I was actually sitting at a job site in between the two hits. So we already knew what something had happened. I was driving. I was driving from uh, my house or from class and i was sitting at the job site because we always have to we always they always need somebody on site to wait for an inspector to come and do whatever they needed to do to sign off on things and i was sitting at that i was sitting at that person's house nobody else was there and the um they had left the tv on i guess but anyway that's i saw the report on the tv then so tell me about just kind of what happened around september 11th how you know, it had such an impact on you that you left a, you left a job. So that's leaving some stability behind, and you started the nonprofit. So just kind of talk me through some of the highlights there.
0: Sure, like you, I remember vividly that day and seeing those images of the airplanes flying into the twin towers and uh, just being shocked. I was at my desk at work. I was working at a tech firm as a product marketing manager and. Following that, I started just devouring everything that I could find on Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. Um, I hadn't really been aware of what was happening there. Of course, the Taliban had been in power for the six years prior, Mm
3: -hmm. but
0: I had no idea about that. So I started watching documentaries about Afghan women and girls and what they had suffered under the Taliban. Um, Sarah Shah's documentary, Beneath the Veil, is one that really moved me. Mm -hmm. Um, She told the story of three little Afghan girls who were home with their mom when the Taliban knocked on the door and asked, you know, said, we're taking over your home as a base. And the dad was away working somewhere out of town. And she said, please don't, this is all we have left. And their response to her was to shoot her in the head and leave her body in the courtyard of their home for the next three days. And those little girls were trapped there. So when Sarah Shaw was interviewing them, she asked, you know, what happened to you during those days? And they couldn't answer, just um, crocodile tears streaming silently down their faces. And I was single at the time in my town home. And I just, my tears were not so silent. Mm -hmm. I got on my face before God and asked, is there anything I can do? Mm-hmm. I wanted to go get them and bring them home with me and never let anyone touch them again, but I didn't know what to do. So that prayer really kind of unraveled my life mm-hmm. over the next couple of years as I kept devouring information and started praying with a friend who also loved Afghanistan. She was a photojournalist and ultimately in 2003, I went with her to Afghanistan to do my first pilot project, mm-hmm. try to um, create a little uh, income generation project for women, especially moms who wanted to hang on to their girls a bit longer and um, resist the financial pressure to marry them off mm-hmm. in exchange for the bride price. Mm-hmm. I wanted to help families that that struggled with poverty mm-hmm. to give their girls longer in school, longer to pursue their own dreams. And then ultimately started a nonprofit and just step-by-step step, my life was unraveled yeah. and I did end up quitting my job and, you know, doing fundraising and then ultimately moved to Afghanistan and started a, a project there to generate income, mm-hmm. you know, do training with women and generate income, um, for them so they could help support their own family
2: that's good so that would be a I think a good place to start in terms of just edit, educating the listeners so talk let's talk a little, a little bit about the culture because you even brought up a couple things there so the things that I've learned about in probably the last year and a half about just what it's like being in that country is just so foreign To so many of us over here in the West, so incredibly foreign. So can you talk a little bit about what what it's like for I guess this is the way I would phrase the question, what's like for females over there, what it's like in comparison to what a female here in the West would think of. Like you you, because you mentioned a few things like just providing a job so that somebody can make money so that they can feed their kids so that they don't have to, you mentioned selling their children for a bride price or whatever. Can you just kind of talk us through that in our Western minds, the difference between our life, our livelihood, our life, and our experiences and just how things work in that culture?
0: Sure. So back then there was an unemployment rate of about 50%. Mm -hmm. And that was mostly for men. So for women, it was even higher. And women traditionally are working at home. They're not working outside the home for income. Mm -hmm. Um, but culturally, well, most marriages are arranged and there's a bride price that is paid to the family of the bride. Mm -hmm. And so the husband, the fiancee saves for many years or borrows, or perhaps one of his sisters fetches the bride price and he uses that money then to get himself a bride Mm -hmm. that's really deeply ingrained in the culture. And that bride price is to compensate the parents for the care and feeding of the girl for all the, all those years. And it's such a large sum of money, Mm -hmm. especially, you know, if the per capita income is about a dollar a day, not sure what it is now. That's what it was at the time. The bride price can be anywhere from a couple thousand dollars up to $10,000, wow. depending on what the families negotiate and what their socioeconomic status is. That's many years of salary. So parents are very unlikely to forego that kind of money that just psychologically they believe is due them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's just this incredible pressure, especially even for a mom, for example, who doesn't want her daughter to be married off too young. She wants her to have a chance to finish school, pursue her dreams. If you have several other children at home and you don't have a way to provide for them, just even their basic needs, then the pressure to marry off the oldest daughter becomes so great. It's almost impossible to
2: resist it yeah I mean that even of itself I can't I can't imagine I I have a daughter so I, I I can't even I can't even put myself in that kind of a
3: yeah and she's our oldest too
2: yep she's our oldest so I mean i I just feel like that's important to like kind of attempt to paint some kind of a picture there because we I know I don't have any kind of a concept of what it's like to live because you're talking about it almost like it's a choice, but it's almost like not a choice for for all of the family members involved, and so that's just the culture. And then you get an, uh, a group of people like the Taliban that have the tactics. I'll say that they have and do things the way that they do things, and that just makes it obviously even worse. So let me go ahead and just kind of. Th- Talk through my, I guess, kind of understanding about what's going on in the current state, and then you guys can just, you know, tell me what I've got right, and then we can just kind of go in to more topics there. So right now, what most of us in here in the West and here in the States understand is that we've had a war going on in various countries for years and years and years. And so what we've been told is that the war needs to come to an end. And so we're ending the war by exiting this country. We've exited Afghanistan. Our military is no longer there. We left behind tons and tons of millions and millions of dollars worth of military equipment. Um, And in that vacuum uh, of no more military presence, no more U.S. military presence, uh, the vacuum has been filled by the Taliban. Is that accurate?
1: Yeah, I, I would say that's accurate. Um, I, I do think something that's important for people to to recognize, though. So as I as I mentioned previously, in, in 2019, the refugee camp that we were at housed over nine. of 20,000 people were Afghans. Mm -hmm. So Afghanistan has not been a safe country. Mm -hmm. It's not as though all of a sudden, you know, the, the U S and other countries pulled out of there in August and, and, and life was, I mean, life is worse now and there are, um, you know, people are, are targeted more and and there's not, you know, as much security, Mm -hmm. but it hasn't been, um, a safe country for years, right? I mean, mm-hmm. there is—it's just a very different culture, um, and and just the ways that people um, that culturally, you know, look at things and, and the way people act is just very different um, to us yeah. here in America.
2: That's actually a really good clarification because we do know that things have been happening there, and there's been like ongoing fighting. And my understanding is that the U.S. But well, that's more policy stuff. We don't even need to get into that. But um, so right now though, is it safe to say that the Taliban is in control of the country?
1: Yeah, I mean they are they are the the, the government. I, I mean they're, they're seeking to be recognized by other countries yeah. um you know as as the government there. Um, you know, when the US went in, um we tried to help them establish um, you know, a that's democracy right. mm-hmm. um, you know, similar to to what we have here in the US. Um, you know, this, I, I, I will say this caveat first, mm-hmm. um, is that this is in no way a political thing for me. Yeah. Um, you know, this is a humans and humanitarian thing for me. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's really about the people that yeah. are there. Um, you know, I, I think one of the things, um, that if you take a look at, at what has happened, um, we, culturally it's just very different corruption and bribes are are a normal thing and and not just the 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 child or or the bride price right i mean it's 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 everywhere i mean you want to get something faster you pay a bribe right and so Mm. we we almost from my perspective um you know us and several other countries tried to fit this you know square peg into this round hole right um it just it it wasn't really um, something that was sustainable, and that's what we saw when um, you know the U.S. and other countries said that they were going to um, start pulling out. The president that had been elected of Afghanistan left, yeah, right? Fled, right? I mean, he he fled, and so that is one of the reasons that the um, Afghan military, as the Taliban started, um, you know, entering the different providences and districts, they started laying down their their, their guns because there was no one there to to to, um, protect them. There Mm -hmm. was no one there to support them. Um, you know, so I think that for, for, for us and the evacuation, um, people that we're working with, Mm -hmm. um, you know, we could talk all day about, you know, policy and and the politics behind it, but it's like, let's, let's put that aside. And like, these are people, right. These are people just like you and I, um, that, you know, are, are in danger. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of them are in danger because they decided to take a stand against the, the Taliban, you know, a, a against the things that were, um, that they didn't, you know, agree with. Yep. And then unfortunately, um, a lot of them, m- most of them from my perspective got left behind.
2: Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, that's definitely where I would like to go now. So, um, my from what i know is that there's been us veterans that have been going in and trying to extract people i have heard those stories and then you you guys what i know about you guys is that you have a group of people that you're helping yeah and trying to get out so why don't we just go ahead into that so jenna it sounds like you were already working it, like it was almost like the writing was on the wall at some point you kind of saw it even before the august 31st date so you started doing more, I guess, maybe to, to get with people kind of, kind of talk us through that, like how you started getting involved when you started getting involved and just kind of like what that looks like.
0: So because I had this income generation project there many years ago, I started reaching out to former employees and people, friends that I was connected to on the ground Mm -hmm. who were telling me what life was really like. And how fast things were deteriorating. Yep. So <clears throat> once it became clear that they needed to leave and quickly, anyone with any kind of association to an American organization, um, especially the American military, but any uh, the UN, any kind of American or foreign organization, were going to be targeted. Yeah. For being what the Taliban call collaborators. Okay. So we had. You know, our, what we consider our friends and allies who work for the US military as combat interpreters or cooks or cleaners or any number of different support roles. Mm-hmm. But there you know, were also people who worked in civil society and a lot of women who worked for democracy. They worked for human rights. They worked for women's rights. They prosecuted criminals. They did all kinds of things that you do in a democratic society because they were all in with our vision for democracy. Um, Anyway, um, I started writing P2 referrals Mm -hmm. for my former employees, and that was to help them get a visa so that they could come to the U.S.
2: What's a P2 referral?
0: So a Program 2 referral. It's a program from the Department of State. Mm
3: -hmm.
0: So they have several different programs to help Afghans get visas to come to the united states
3: got it
2: okay
0: so that's the one thing that i could help them with so i started mm-hmm. reaching out to, try to find them i was doing these spreadsheets writing these p2 referrals and that's when i reached out to christy
3: okay
0: to see if she could help me with the spreadsheets and submissions and that and then we started getting requests from a lot of different people i have um there are about 13 different Afghan families here in South Carolina that I'm connected with mm-hmm. who had, some of them are here on the SIV visa, special immigrant visas, because they served as combat interpreters. Got it. Their own families were endangered, and they immigrated to the state. Many of them became U.S. citizens, and they reached out to say, can you help us? Yeah. And I was surprised. We now have 202 people in our case management load. I was quite surprised at who we left behind Yeah, and I was surprised that there, they had no other advocate.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, we had people, you know, who are employed by the U S embassy left behind and they had no one else. So they're reaching out to us to say, can you be a voice for me? Can you help me get through this paperwork? Can you get me evacuated because we're being hunted? Yeah. Uh, a NATO interpreter that worked for a contractor for NATO. Um, another SIV applicant, someone who worked for a UN organization, who was abducted and stripped and whipped. He was abducted right from the UN office. These people, Christy and I, feel a moral obligation to do what we're doing because they really have no one else.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I, can't even, I can't even imagine that to, to go from living life however you're living life to a couple of things happen and then all of a sudden you're a target. And not only you, but your family's a target. I can't imagine being here and having family over there and understanding that that's happening to them and not being able to go get them, not being able to have the resources to, to, to send to get them out. Um, I think that's one of the things that was just more shocking to me in general as I've been like hearing hearing about things is that there there are people over there they can't walk around. they't can't, they can't get around, they can't get what they need. like It's not like you can go to Meyer and get your groceries. so talk t- talk to us a little bit about that. like so do I have that right that the people that I, like kind of that you're helping so the list of like 200 and some people. what would their what is their day to day like? Since all this happened,
1: yeah. So I can I can share a little bit, um, and then Jana, you can you know feel free to jump in too. But you know, as we were um, talking with families, and so we actually have um, a, a small network of of. Different people that um, Jana and I are connected with and that we're coordinating with. And mm-hmm. so some of those people um, are other people that have had, you know, project work in Afghanistan for years. Um, there's a few, you know, Afghan men that are here in the US now that are helping advise us. And so, mm. um, you know, that that sort of community of people is is who we're we're partnering with and working with. And so um, one of the things that that we always talk through with our families. Um, you know, as we're having these conversations, uh, the, the first thing that we ask them is, are you safe where you're at? So, you know, wherever in, you're in at... In the country? Yeah. Okay. So wherever you're at, um, you know, do you feel safe there? Okay. And if the answer is yes, then um, then our advice to them is is to shelter in place. Okay. And so to stay where you're at, um, you know, go, go out as least as possible, you know, um, potentially if there's... People that maybe aren't as big of a target, you know, that, that are connected with your family, send send them to the store. The, those sort of things, okay. Um, you know, and then talking through the other options that they might have. Right, if 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 they're not safe um, where they're currently at, you know, is is there somewhere else that you can go? Okay. Um, is there another providence that 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 you would feel safer in? Um, you know, are we able to help connect you with potential resources that um, or connections that that could help? You know help you stay safe there. And then, um, you know, the the other option, um, of course, is if, if none of those are, are if, if you're not safe there, then, you know, get across the border, however you have to. Got it. Um, most of the borders, all of the borders right now are closed. Um, you know, Afghanistan is, is landlocked, so there's no way out other than getting into another country. Um, and so, so
2: let's, let's address that real quick. Cause I'm terrible with geography. Yeah. So tell me a couple of the countries that are next to Afghanistan. Cause it, my geography is that bad.
1: So you've definitely got Pakistan. Okay. Um, Tajikistan. Okay. Jana, what are a few other countries? Iran. Iran.
2: Iran. Okay. All right. So if I feel like I can get to any of those countries, how much more safe? would an individual be going to?
1: It, it would depend on if the UN, uh, I mean, it depends on multiple factors, sure. but one of the things would be, does the UN, does the United Nations have a refugee camp set up there? Got it. So are, are they able to, however they need to get across the border um, and then seek asylum in those countries? Got it. Um, you know, the other countries aren't honestly a lot safer for a lot of people. I sure. mean, it just depends, um, you know, on, on their situation.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's just wild because it makes me think of different. So makes me think of people that were stuck in the two towers and it's like, they don't really have anywhere to go, yeah. but some of them ended up jumping because that in their psychology in the moment was better than the alternative of staying there. Yeah. And so, and then that also makes me think of... Have you guys heard of Yeonmi Park? No. She fled North Korea when she was a kid. She has a crazy, crazy story, but she fled North Korea um, hoping to get food because she was essentially starving. She ended up in China and was essentially sold as a slave mm. to become the wife of somebody, lived that life for a long time, and then she eventually made it to South Korea and then eventually made it to the state. She's got a wild story. Mm. Um, but she, the, the idea is that she was motivated to go find food, didn't have any concept because it's North Korean, so she doesn't have any concept of what's around her. She just saw lights. At nighttime, she just saw lights, and so she went for the lights. Mm. And it's a, it's a much more complicated story. But So the idea that you're going to be motivated to go to another country because things are that bad, and you don't know probably, they probably don't necessarily know what's going on in the other country. Is that fair or not?
0: So the best scenario for these folks, of course, is to get evacuated. Yes. Because if they get evacuated by one of those organizations that Christy mentioned, where you know veterans, former military, are helping to get people out, they land in a refugee camp, and that they are safe there. Got it. Like in Abu Dhabi in the United Arab Emirates or Qatar or any number of other places where there are refugee camps. We're trying to avoid a situation where they have to flee across the border. Like on foot? On foot. Of course, some Afghans have attempted that to get into Pakistan, for example, but they can be shot at the border, or they're vulnerable once they get into Pakistan. Um, They don't really have, job opportunities, their persona non grata, it's not really a place they want to be. Yeah. Even if they their lives are not in danger anymore. It's constant struggle. Yeah. They're you know, people without a right to be there, without a country, stateless people. Yeah. So if they can get in a refugee camp where their food, shelter, clothing, medicine are provided. And there are even advocates who can help them cut a pathway to another country, you know, wade through all the paperwork to complete a humanitarian parole applications, get financial sponsors, finish up their SIV, visa applications, or P2, get the P2 application going. They're in a much better position. And Christy has been, she's been the engine of our little train here, and she has gotten through her advocacy, Mm -hmm. through relentless uh, submissions of our, the people's names and their stories to whatever evacuation organization they might qualify to get a flight on, Mm -hmm. she has gotten 262 people evacuated. Those 62 of those were from our list of 202 people and another 200 were Basically, as a favor mm-hmm. to another organization, people who were in danger because of their status as a persecuted religious minority
2: mm-hmm. So did I hear that right you You have since August gotten two hundred and sixty two people out
0: That's
1: correct yeah, Wow. yeah.
2: I thought we were just working with a list of like two hundred and two people that still need to get out, but we you've gotten. 262 people out.
1: Yeah. So out of our 202 people, um, 62 of them have been evacuated. So, um, so for the, um, people that Jana and I are connected directly with. We have 140 that are still in country that we're um, working to get evacuated. Okay. Um, the the other group, the kind of community of people that we've been working with, mm-hmm. um, they had a list of well, they have a list of close to 500 people. Mm-hmm. Um, 200 of them met some qualifications mm-hmm. for a flight, um, and I was able to help coordinate get get those 200 people evacuated as well.
2: That's fantastic. I wish I had like an applause sound, yeah. sound bite right now because that's. <laughs> Really encouraging. Yeah. Um okay. So here's what I want to get into a little bit more. Um too late, missed the moment. Kim was trying to
1: <laughs> ah, <laughs> so do it.
3: <laughs> yeah
1: 262 are safe. All right, yes.
2: I'm actually really impressed because you got to that sound bite. Yeah, that
1: was, that that
2: was better. we're learning the new equipment still, folks. Anyways. Okay, so here here's what I want to get into a little bit. So I have so many questions, and I know I have a limited amount of time. I'm not going to get all my questions answered. So, and I'm trying to think through what people would want to ask you, and they're probably screaming through their headsets to, "Why isn't he asking this question?" But one of the main questions I want to know is, like, it sounds like there's a lot of paperwork involved, so sponsorships and everything. So you are helping, you guys are helping fill out paperwork that's going to go into the bureaucracy thing, and the whole idea is to get the paperwork approved. Once the paperwork gets approved, then that means that the people can get out.
1: So that's a very big question. Got it. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna answer. I'm gonna talk about a couple things first, sure. and then we can actually talk about sponsorship because okay. I think that is, you know, sponsorship is definitely a way that um, that anyone. Um, any one of us can, can help, but, um, you know, Jana had mentioned, uh, the SIV visas. And so an SIV is a special immigration visa. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's, it was, you know, it's been around for several years. Um, you know, several of our, so, so this is specifically for people that have stood in our military with, beside our military combat interpreters, right? Yep. So several of, um, the people in our caseload, they have had applications pending for three or four years. Right. So um, even before all of this started happening in August, the system has just been very, very slow. Right. Um, we were not, you know, processing people, not not getting them through those sort of things. And so the P2 referral program, which is really just means priority two um, that Jana had mentioned, I do believe that that's something that they actually uh, kind of stood up um, you know this this year in in response the State Department did in response to the stuff that was happening in Afghanistan. There's a caveat though to the P2 program. When For, was that
2: program starting to get stood up? Is this
1: I, I we'd have to look it up. I should probably Google that. But I didn't, I, I didn't mean to like no that's derail okay. you. I'm just, I know I had my caveat we, and it was like <laughs> yeah. What's the program called? Uh, P2. P2. Yeah. So
2: I'm just I'm just curious in the timeline when that happens. Yeah. So continue on your thing. We'll yeah. figure that out.
1: So. The big catch to the P2 program is that it technically can't start until the person is out of Afghanistan. What? Yes. Who and wrote so, that rule? <laughs> right. And so, and this is the other thing, okay? So Hold what, on.
2: So a P2, the way that that's in my, I'm sorry, I just need to clarify yeah. this. So in my brain, that is to get people essentially to the front of the line to be decided to get out? Is that, it's, am I right? It's a,
1: um... It's a potential um, – so it's a way that people can get so, – so the P2's focus is, is allowing them to come to the U.S. So okay. a P2 – it would be a P2 visa. Um, and, and actually the, it's, it's, it's important to realize too. So from an SIV perspective, the actual Afghan submits all their information to the state department and they okay. have to get, I mean, there's a huge laundry list of things they have to get right. Letters of, uh, um, recommendations, um, you know, HR letters and all of those things are, are, are great. Right. I'm not saying we just, you know, let anyone in, but, yeah. but there's a big list of things that, that, that they have to get. Um,
2: and then you have to wait for it to process. So we're t- yes, already talking about a very long yes, timeline.
1: years. Years, four, five, six years. I mean, just v- very long time, right?
2: Not even a guaranteed amount of time. Correct.
1: No yeah. guarantee. Um, and so with the P2, it's actually a referral. Okay. So the, the employer is who has to... Actually make the referral. So the Afghan can't say, Hey, I worked for OneMaker, here's here's my referral. So that's also one of the challenging things, you know. So someone like Jana who has proactively gone out to look for her employees, mm-hmm. right? So she has gone out and said, Hey, you know, different employees that worked for her, I I'm gonna help you and do this P two referral for you. Okay. So there are I'm sure thousands of Afghans who Whose employers weren't proactive and right. are trying to get these referrals, you know, placed. And then again, it becomes that technically, like Jana um, and anyone, the employer can do the P two referral. Mm-hmm. We did a bunch of ours in um, in August, but again, the process doesn't actually start until they're actually out of country, and so. Um, you know, one of the things that we've been up against as well is the Taliban, um, you know, cause they, they are trying to gain legitimacy with, with the rest of the world. Right. So there's, you know, they're, they're trying to, um, what,
2: why do they want?
1: Because they want to be recognized as a government. And what do they get when they're recognized as a well, government? Well, one of the things they would get is their money would be unfrozen at the Federal Reserve. So if you, if, if you look online, I mean, the federal, we have, I think, billions of dollars of Afghanistan's money in the Federal Reserve and it's now been frozen. Um, And so there, there's, there's a lot of, you know, other politics behind it. But, but, but what I want to mention is one of the things that, that they came out very early and said is we, we're going to allow people to leave. People can leave. That's fine. They just have to have a passport and a visa. Well, the passport office was closed. So it's like, well, that's great that you're telling people they can leave, but there's no pass, like people so passport. So a passport office, would that
2: be in an embassy?
1: Um, the visas come through the embassy. The passport would be like through their government office, through, okay. just, so just like ours are.
2: The government president fled the country. Yeah. So if the president of the government fled the country, my guess is you're not going to be able to get into whatever building, yeah. and get things moving because there essentially isn't a government at that point. Correct. So in order to get the passport, which would be an Afghanistan passport, yeah. uh, you need to be able to have a working government. And at yes. this point, since sometime in August, there has not been a working government.
1: So the passport office did reopen a few weeks ago. Okay. Um, or maybe it's been longer, but the last couple weeks. But is um, that under
2: Taliban? Like- yes, Okay. All right. And so
1: we have had, um, a few families that have, we had one family in particular that wanted to go to the passport office and try to get a passport, right? Because you need a passport to try to get out. Um, they stood in very, very long lines and then it was, it was chaos, right? There were, you know, Taliban guards, you know, everywhere, Um the crowds got too large, you know, they started, you know, whipping people and pushing them back. And so it just wasn't safe. Um
2: well if you're on a list, that's a perfect place for you to get found, I would think.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Okay. That was just my thought. Yeah. You can keep going. Okay, so here's
0: two dates. The uh the P two program was updated around August second, twenty twenty one. And then the Afghan
3: passport office opened. October 5th.
2: Yeah. So I feel like I want to say that there was something like during the election, everything, where it was like, we're going to get our troops out, right? That's part of our election, that this is one of the promises, maybe we're going to get our troops out. So I think in my mind, that's when a lot of military folks that served with Afghanistan were like voicing their concerns, I want these people that I worked with out, so then is it safe to say that maybe some of, that vo- some of those voices are starting to get vocalized in this, this P2 program kind of maybe, obviously I don't know if it came from any of that, but there is enough things getting voiced and like, well, we need to get these people out. How do we expedite the process so this comes up as a possible expedite? And it goes live on August 2nd. And weren't we supposed to leave by nine eleven or something like that? Wasn't that the original
1: thing? I think so. Yeah, but so so the P two again is not expediting anything necessarily. It's not, okay, it's it's giving them the legal right to enter the U S on a visa.
2: Got it. Okay, and so
1: um, you know after after the U S and other countries pulled out at the end of August. Um, lots of private organizations um, started to, to step up. You know, you, you mentioned, um, you know, vets. There's some vet organizations. There's yeah. other um, private citizens that, um, you know, similar to Jana and I, have just been, yes. you know, felt, felt morally obligated to, to help. And so, um, you know, if, if you can imagine, there are um, Excel spreadsheets that these organizations want filled out. And of course, none of the Excel spreadsheets are the same, right? They all have Correct. different, they all, different
2: formatting. <laughs>
1: yeah, Excel
2: '93 versus yeah. Excel '2006. Different
1: headers, all of that kind yes. of stuff. And so, part of what Jana and I um, and our other colleagues were doing was one, um, getting in contact with with these organizations, right? And yeah. so, you know, as you can imagine, there's 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 bad actors out there. There's the, there's there's people that are, um, you know not legitimate organizations. Either they're right. asking for money or or they could potentially be Taliban. And so we have to be very careful that anyone that we communicate with, anyone that we are working with, that we've been able to vet them on on some level that that they're legitimate. Um and so from there it's 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 submitting um you know the family's information, and so mm-hmm. we collect um you know their information their you know images of their passports that they have' i d cards school records just 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 different things to to help um determine like this this is who they say they are yeah um and so from there it's it's submitting the um list of names, so like our two hundred and two names have been submitted. Um, to you know, three different organizations that we've been able to vet and, and that we know are, are working to evacuate people. Yeah. Um, and so it's you know there there is a coordination at least from what I've been told with the State Department, right? So I mean we do have to make sure yeah. that which which I totally agree with that the people that we're taking out are who they say they are mm-hmm. and you know have you know um so one of the things um, that is, you know, like with the whole expediting, like it's not in any way expediting it. it, it it's probably better for them that they have a P2 referral because it shows that they have a connection to the U S same with the SIVs. It shows that they have a connection, but it's not necessarily helping expedite anything. It's not necessarily making them, um, you know, things you are still
2: following the correct process. You're not, you're not cutting
1: any corners. And I don't know. Um, it'd be interesting to look up. I should have looked up these numbers myself, but like how many P2 referrals have, have been submitted. I'm sure there's, i would guess 50,000 60,000 right like like there's yeah. thousands of them and so we also have to remember that it's a it's a priority too so siv is 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 the first priority and mm-hmm. there's you know 50 60,000 of those pending yeah. and so as you can imagine it's just it's
2: and when these things are pending, is, that would be pending with what, the State, the State Department. Department? So it's yeah. got to be like a, a federal government thing yeah. that has to go through these things, vet it out, however they vet it out. Yeah. They work at lightning speed, I'm sure.
1: Yes, absolutely. They're fully staffed. Fully staffed. Uh, everyone yeah. is, yeah.
2: Everybody has passion here. Yeah. Yeah. Jenna? Jenna.
0: So to follow up something Christy said, SIV applications are averaging 800 days to process. It's highly unlikely that someone who worked as a combat interpreter, for example, who has an SIV application process is going to be able to stay alive for 800 days while his visa application processes. So what we've been doing, and some of our SIVs are having to move from house to house right now because they're being hunted. We were live on a secure chat with one of our SIV applicants when he's telling us, the Taliban are in my neighborhood. They're knocking on doors. They're knocking on my door. He went to the roof. We, Christy and I, prayed that, you know, God would make him invisible, that they would not be able to enter his home and slaughter him and his wife. And two children, because that's what they would do to collaborators. So we were waiting, holding our breath to hear from him again.
1: Yeah, he turned his phone off to be safe.
0: Mm. Yes. So thank goodness he didn't answer the door. He hid on the roof, and they, for some reason, did not open the door and invade his home and find his documents and that. Um, These are the, we get over 500 messages every day. From the 140 people plus, you know, 140 people who are still in country, who are on our case management load, mm-hmm. and we have others who have asked to be on our list, and we've had to say there's, you know, one leader who received um, a time person of the year award many years ago. She's a women's rights advocate. She had women's shelters. She ran girls' schools during the time of the Taliban. She She's a colleague and friend of mine. She contacted me. Mm-hmm. She's safely out of the country, but she still has about 100 people in country. She said, please, can you help my 100 or so employees? Mm-hmm. We had to say, we're going to share information with you. We'll give you all of our templates. We'll share our processes. But we couldn't take 100 more people into our own caseload. Yeah. So there are lots more people who legitimately need help, who worked in civil society to establish a democracy. It's mm-hmm. all in with us. And to Christy's point, you know, we have two problems. One is evacuation. Mm-hmm. Evacuation saves people's lives. The second problem is resettling them to start a new life in a new country. And we're focused on the U.S. because that's where we are. And we kind of are understanding the systems and processes yeah. Here. Yeah. Um, the brother of one of my friends, local friends, who, who came to the U.S. on an SIV, and he is himself now a U.S. citizen,
3: mm-hmm.
0: has a wife, children. He has three brothers trapped in Afghanistan, one of whom also worked for the U.S. government but did not meet the one year criteria.
3: Oh, my now, gosh.
0: We care about that, and maybe that was legit before the Taliban took over. The Taliban does not care about that. Right. He's on the slaughter list because he worked any time, you know, six months for the U.S. military, yet he doesn't qualify for the SIV. So he fled to Iran to save his own life, Mm -hmm. and he was detained, stripped, beaten, and forced to clean public toilets as a form of humiliation humiliation. That's how Iran is treating US allies, our friends and allies. He reported that there were a lot of people like him in the detention center running to Iran to try to save their lives. And Iran is treating all of them this way and then dumping them, deporting them back into Afghanistan, where they once again have to hide for fear that they will be slaughtered.
1: Wow. Yeah, and I think you know, in in, in addition to the um, you know, the, the the hunting and and the targeting by the Taliban, there's also a very big humanitarian crisis going on. People mm-hmm. are starving. Yeah. I mean there there is a food shortage in Afghanistan. Yep. Um ever since the Taliban took over, you know, inflation has gone up. Yep. Um, you know, insane amounts. Um, you know, one of our families that we've been um connected with for for quite a while um reached out about their um cousin and his family uh, a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And they had stopped by his house and um he was he was considering um you know, killing his children Mm -hmm. instead of letting them starve to death. Mm -hmm. Um, And so those are the types of situations that people are faced with on a daily basis. And so thankfully we were able, um, you know, to financially, um, you know, give money to that family you know, to be able to provide them food uh, mm-hmm. for the month, and, and we're talking two hundred U.S. dollars, right? We're not sending yep. thousands of dollars to to um, you know a, an Afghan specifically, but two hundred dollars, you know, provided enough for this family of eight to be able to eat, for them not to have to worry, um, at least for the month, about you know what it, what are we going to do, and so. That is another thing that um, that just really you know keeps keeps me up at night and, and, and keeps me praying is like how are we going to help these people mm-hmm. right like how are, how do we get food in people's mouths yep. and, and and to me that is one of the important things right like we can't we can't evacuate every single person in Afghanistan unfortunately right but like mm-hmm. we've got to do something as a community and as a country and as as fellow human beings yeah. to be able to help support them. Um, you know, I was able to get in contact with one of the large uh, or humanitarian organizations that, that, that you'll see posting on, you know, social media that they've got a presence in Afghanistan, that kind of stuff. So I have definitely become um, a beggar. Through all of this, mm-hmm. right, like I have no problem now uh, emailing whoever I need to and asking because, you know, these are life and death situations. And so um, I was able to get in contact with um, one of those larger organizations and they emailed me back after a few weeks and they said, hey, um, have your Afghan families reach out to this particular email. And I was like, great. Like, oh my gosh, we just maybe solved hunger for half the people on our list. Right. Mm -hmm. So one of our families reached out and the organization said, you know, that they emailed them back and said, oh, this has to go through your um, district representative. And so in Mm -hmm. Afghanistan, similar to like a suburb, I I guess you could think of in the U S there's different districts and each district has a representative. Um, Those representatives are, are corrupt. They're not going to give food to the people that need them. They're going to keep the food for themselves and give it to the people that, that they want to help Um, you know, their family, those sort of things. And so it's those kind of situations where you can start to feel like this is hopeless. Right. Like no matter where you turn, it's like there's no passports, you can't get them out. There's no, we've got these huge organizations that, you know, millions of dollars are being flowed into, but they can't actually get food to people that need it. And so one of the things that Jana and I have been very fortunate is that we have been able to do some fundraising. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we have been able to um, raise money Money for our families, and and I know we had talked about it, and we'll share a link, um, you know, um, with with the podcast for people to be able to donate. You know, any of the money that that gets donated there is going to go directly to the families, and so it's either going to go, you know, to be able to get food. Um, you know, uh, it, it, into their, into their mouths, um, it's also beginning to be winter over there. And so they need to be able to prepare, um, mm. by gas or wood to be able to keep their houses, um, warm. And then, um, how it,
2: bad is winter in Afghanistan? Probably depends on your region or whatever, but yeah.
1: below freezing. You
2: know,
0: do you know, oh, winter can be brutal in Afghanistan. There's snow. um, people, there's no central heat, so you have to have gas or wood to keep your family warm in your home. And people do die of freezing. Yeah. A livestock during, you know, snowstorms and such, livestock and people do die for lack of um, heating fuel.
1: Okay. Yeah. And and I think um you know, and so in addition to being able to to provide those on-the-ground uh, resources, we've also been able to help with some medical care. Um, one of our families, their, their mother had been in severe back pain,
3: mm-hmm.
1: um, like decrippling de- where she's just been in a bed for, for, for a while mm-hmm. Um you know, we, we finally encouraged her, go to the doctor, right. Go to the doctor and see what they can do for you. Mm -hmm. Um, she went to the doctor and she came back and she said, you know, they're, they're recommending, um, you know, that I get physical therapy once a month. Like, is there any way that you guys would be able to help support me? We're like, you know, we'd, we'd love to, if we can, how, how much is it? Um, I want to say it was like $30 U S money a month. Right. And so there's, there's just so many things, um, that we can do, um, you know, to 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 help people over there. Um, so
2: they have hospitals still.
1: They have buildings, yes. They have buildings. they have buildings that are hospitals. the The medical care is 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 terrible. I mean, it's definitely right. not, um, you know, what what we have here in right. the U.S. And right. then also a lot of the, um, you know, a lot of the good doctors will say. Have fled and left, yeah, and right. so so there's not a lot of good medical care. There there are some um, nonprofits that are still there and some private hospitals.
3: Okay,
1: um, you know we've had two different uh, families that have um, had had babies since we've or, or or gone into labor. You know since we've um, been working with them, both of them had cesarean sections that got really infected. Um, and we're talking about, you know, infections that potentially could have um, killed them had they not been able to go back to the doctor. Right. Um, and so I can't even begin to imagine what the, what the shape of the, the hospitals and the, and the medical care is like. That's
2: what I kind of assumed. Yeah. And then, I mean, you guys have even pointed out to the fact, I think, that with the Taliban taking over really probably a lot of stuff you have to go through them to get access to. So um, anyway, okay, I want to move on to like... Maybe a little bit more. Okay. A couple of clarifying questions. Then I'm going to move on to some practicals. Yeah. Um, so we got probably about 20, 20 minutes left. So let's talk about um, a couple of things to clarify for the audience. You, you were an individual that was a combat interpreter. You were helping the United States military to whatever capacity. You're there. You, you don't want to just get out. You want your family to get out too because you're not just the target. Right? Yeah. Okay. So if I have a couple young kids, if the Taliban finds me, they find my wife, good chance mom and dad are dead, and then they take the kids, what happens to the kids?
0: So I'm not entirely sure what happens. I don't know if they'll slaughter the kids or what, but I do know that one of our teammates who had 30 family members there, including... Um, nieces who were in their Mm teens. she begged me to adopt them because she was quite sure they would be abducted and forced to be so called brides to talib soldiers Mm -hmm. Um, that's the fate that I'm sure about and that I know our people in country who have beautiful teenage girls are terrified and we, we know from history from the last time the Taliban was in power that this is what happened that the forced quote marriage is really just sex slavery. Right. And then women are forced to be baby factories for Taliban soldiers.
1: Right. You know, one of our families, um, I think their daughter is twelve or thirteen. So, so any any woman, any single woman of childbearing age is is, is at risk, severe um, risk, yeah, for for being taken. You know, as Janice said, as a as a bride, as a prize for these Taliban soldiers. One of our families actually, um, their daughter is either twelve or thirteen, but they had her cut her hair very short. Mm-hmm. So she looked like a boy. Her, um, aunt was advising her don't shower, don't, you know, make yourself like, like look disgusting, smell disgusting. So they, you know, to hopefully take the target off of you. Um, you know, young, young boys are also at risk as well. Um, okay. you know, they're, they're at risk for potentially being taken and being forced to be a Taliban soldier, Okay, or they're at risk, um, for being taken, um, there's a term called, you know, dancing boys and it's essentially, I mean, a a child, you know, from a boy's perspective of, of being a sex slave. Yeah. Um, and so there is a lot of risk, um, you know, for vulnerable people, you know, there, there's also a whole ethnic minority, Mm. um, in Afghanistan, the Hazaras, um, that are targeted, um, just, just for their, their ethnic and and their religious beliefs. Um, and so there are, there are a lot of factors, you know, Um, that That are up against a, a lot of people,
2: yeah, so what I'm hearing uh from this podcast is the stakes are incredibly high for the people that are there that have targets, and there's a lot of them, and we've talked about the kinds of scenarios that could be, but it's people that have helped the west yeah um, during during the conflict over the years, and uh, it's not just them that are in trouble, but it's their families by extension that are in trouble. And you might just end up getting a bullet, but there's a good chance that you could be facing some things that are what I would argue would be worse to, to have to face. So these are incredibly high stakes that you're talking about. So let's talk through, people that are hearing this, let's talk through actions that can be taken. Somebody's hearing this and they're like, I want to help, but I don't know where I can point anything to. I don't know what organization, I don't know... Where So point people financially, point people and in, in any other way, resources.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, one of the things that we had mentioned is being able to donate to our organization, mm-hmm. um, you know, so we can help continue to provide for families. Um, there's also another program that the State Department has that's, that's been around for a long time. Um, and it's called humanitarian parole. Okay. And so humanitarian parole is not a visa. So it's not an SIV or it's not a P2. You know, it doesn't give them a visa, but what it does is it allows them to legally enter the U.S. Okay. And then once they can legally enter the U.S., they are allowed to seek asylum. And so, um, you know, that is one of the things we've been very fortunate that we've, you know, through connections that we've made, we've been able to attend um, a few different webinars that, you know, some groups of attorneys have put on and, and those sort of different things. We'll actually share a link um, with, with you guys to share as well um, about the humanitarian parole process and. Um, that is is definitely something that, that that people can do. And so there's there's really two parts to that process. Um, there is someone that, that's in the US that is going that would essentially um, fill out paperwork to uh, sponsor that person. Okay. And so, um, you know, that the, the paperwork itself is, um, you know, it's typically, you know, to have an immigration attorney help you with it. I mean, you, you can do it yourself, but it's always best, you know, to have an attorney just so it doesn't get, you know, kicked back and stuff like that. Yes. Um, you know, one of the things, um, so so there's two parts to it. There's, there's requesting for them to come here, and then there's also a, a financial sponsor, mm-hmm. um, you know, part of that. And so the application itself for humanitarian parole, there's a $575 fee per person. And so that Whoa. is due to the State Department. Up um, front? Up front, and so, you know, if, if, if we wanted, if, if you and, you know, Kim and your children were in Afghanistan and five we wanted- Five times
2: five. Yeah. That's almost $3,000, yeah. maybe over.
1: Yeah. And so that is, um, you know, one of the requirements. Um, and then there's also a financial sponsorship. And so it's two different pieces. So it can be two different people that are that are requesting it and filling it out. Um, but then there's um, where someone is is financially- uh, sponsoring the family. And so, um, you know, there is some, uh, a lot of good information out there. And I know Jana, um, I know you had a couple of things on the financial sponsorship to share. Um, the one thing I will say about this as well is it technically doesn't start until they're out of country as well. And so we are still, um, for our families filing these when, when we're able to find sponsors, um, we're still wanting to do it. Um, but there is that, that, that also that, um, that challenge with the people that are still in country. Yeah.
0: We're, because it takes so long for the SIV applications to be processed, you know, average 800 days and P2s are also very slow. we have adopted the strategy to try to get humanitarian parole for as many of our people, the 140 mm-hmm. still in Afghanistan as we can, That if they were to get humanitarian parole or even having an application in process can help them get on an evacuation flight because these organizations want to know that they're not going to be in refugee camp mm-hmm. indefinitely,
3: mm-hmm. that they
0: have the who are going to be their support network to help them get started. They are able to get a work permit, even though humanitarian parole is not itself a visa. When they get here, they can claim asylum they can get a work permit relatively quickly, and especially those who were interpreters already speak English. So there are lots of jobs available here in the U.S., you know, entry level. They're, these folks are willing to take almost any kind of job. They're just glad that their lives have been saved. Yep. Um, in some cases, we can get that $575 application fee waived mm-hmm. because the investors, sometimes their family members, qualify for a fee waiver, mm-hmm. and we have attorneys who are willing to work with us pro bono, so we don't have attorney fees. Often we have many pieces of the puzzle together, but we're, the piece we're missing is the financial sponsor. Okay. And before I watched this one and a half hour webinar put on by attorneys and immigration experts, I had some misunderstandings about what it meant. Okay. The bar is much lower financially than what I had imagined it would be. I think Christy's working up a just a, for instance, for us to kind of give you an idea of what your annual salary might have to be to sponsor, say, a family of three people, husband, wife, and child, if you already have a family of four yourself. Okay. Um, I I sponsored a woman and two children for humanitarian parole, and um, her application is being processed. Then I sponsored another eight people. Okay. And I don't have a big income. <laughs> and somehow it looks like I could qualify. I don't have room for all those people. I'll house the mom and two kids, but I'm going to look for a church who might have an empty parsonage mm-hmm. or work something out for the family of eight. It's possible. We have resources yeah. here. And they're not even going to be staying in that temporary housing for very long because he's going to get a job. Several members of the family will get a job. They'll be able to rent an apartment.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So if, if folks want to help in that way, it's basically just showing your pay stub, showing your tax return to the attorneys. No one else sees it. I don't see it. The family themselves don't see it. You're not necessarily promising that you're going to give them any money. Mm Mm-hmm to help support them. And that could be finding them housing. It could be networking to help them get a job. You don't have to be independently wealthy to help a person in this way. And that webinar will really, it gave me a lot of comfort. No one's going to come after you saying, you know, you agreed you were going to do X, Y, Z. And it's a way to save people's lives. And so
1: the, the guidelines, um, for the, the minimum criteria for financial sponsorship, it really follows the poverty guidelines. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, the, the way you would calculate it is you would calculate, you know, this is what my family makes. And then you would add in, um, you know, how many people you want to sponsor. And so if you had a family of four and you were wanting to sponsor, um, let's just even say four people. Mm -hmm. So that'd be a total of eight. Um, you would need to show an income um, or assets that totaled uh, $44,660. Got it. And so we're not talking, um, you know, an extreme amount of money. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, to to Jana's point... Um, there's a few things that are important about the financial sponsorship. So so we definitely don't want people just sponsoring people and then them coming here and not having anything, right? Yeah. And so one of the things with humanitarian parole, because it's not a visa, when they first arrive here, um, they don't qualify for a lot of this... benefits that a regular refugee would qualify for there has been some legislation that's been passed recently where i think they qualify for some okay um but they they're not getting you know months and months of housing and you know they, they they're not able at this time to qualify for food stamps and like medical care and stuff like that um but one of the things that um that we've run into recently, you know, I was recently down in South Carolina, uh, you know, visiting Jana and we had an opportunity to go and visit some of our families, um, that have, you know, the, the family members that are in, uh, in the U S that, that were helping their families in Afghanistan. Yeah. Um, you know, they those families would be more than willing to house their families, right? right? They're, they're more than willing to say, Hey, they can come live with me. The problem is they don't make enough money to be able to financially sponsor them. Yeah, And so we would definitely make sure with any, you know, conversations we had, anyone that reached out, that we would be doing something that that would be helpful to people, right? Yeah. Um, but we have lots of families like that, um, you know, that, that would potentially be able um, to, to bring their families here if they had someone that could fi- help financially sponsor them. Yeah. So. Yeah. I'm
0: sorry. No, you go ahead. Another option, uh, because employers are having a hard time filling especially entry-level positions, employers could agree to financially sponsor someone in exchange for an agreement to work for their company for mm. a year.
2: Mm. Wow. So what you're describing then is that if I have a company and I can't hire somebody for this type of a job, I could, I could get into an agreement and get somebody over and that person will work for me for a year or yeah. whatever it might be. Okay. So exactly. let me, let me uh, clarify a couple of things here. So I make sure that everybody kind of knows maybe, especially for action steps, how do people contact or who do people contact if they are ready to make a kind of a step in any direction, even if it's just to get more educated on how they can help.
0: Sure. So they can contact me through that, email address help afghanistan at swissmail.org okay or they can follow the link that's provided to make a donation to the afghan refugee project that one maker the organization that i founded Mm -hmm. can um, will pass to our project so we can use it to you know supply the needs of the people in country
2: and that's even just like a Um, one-time gift that they could do
0: they can set up a recurring gift. We've committed to do this for six months, which I think puts us at the end of February. Okay. Um, and they can also watch that video about how to do humanitarian parole and become a financial sponsor and share all of these things on their own social media to recruit more people yep. to help. We're, we're literally transferring people from death to life. And it yep. will impact Not just these people, but their children Mm -hmm. and their children's. Yeah, yeah. And
1: it's possible too. um, You know, maybe hearing about the five hundred and seventy-five dollar fee, people want to, you know, cover that for a family of five. Um, You know, using the donation link, um, I think there's a way you can um, possibly say what you want to donate it for, right? So there's 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 all those different options to be able, um, you know, to to help support. Um, you know, what's going on over there. Um, I, I think it's important to to, you know, we can't we can't I can't help everybody. Right. Like right. we can't help everybody. Right. But everybody can help somebody. Yes. Right. And, and taking that approach and thinking about it, you know, to, to Jana's point, being able to help one family. Right. I mean, yeah. being th- the fact that we were able to get one person evacuated has made this all worth it to me. Yeah. Right. I, I have well not said. received a paycheck, you know, from from my employer since since August. Um, and, and it it's, it's not a sacrifice. It, it yeah. really isn't. Right. It, it's an honor and a privilege to be able to serve and to be able to help people that are really in this life and death uh, situation. And and there is opportunities for for lots of us to to come together. It's it's been really encouraging. Um, you know, Jana and I are in sort of a grassroots movement, right? We're yeah. not in this big organization that's doing all of this this th- this big stuff, but there are is a community of hundreds, if not thousands, of other people like us that are taking a stand and trying to do something. And it's just been really encouraging um, yeah. to be able to see that.
2: Well, that was one of the main reasons. Oh, go
0: ahead, Jana. I was going to mention just a couple other ways that people can get involved in this grassroots effort. Yep. We're available to speak at your church or organization. We can do that through Zoom. If you're local, we can do it in person. Um, you can donate miles for people who get to a refugee camp and then don't have a way to get to the United States once they get their humanitarian parole or their visa approved.
2: Do you mean air miles?
0: Uh, air miles.
2: Yeah. So you can donate your own air miles to get somebody moving? Mm -hmm.
3: Okay.
0: You can. Yeah. And if we have an opportunity, if time allows, I'd love for us to just be able to share about a few of our families who are in need of sponsorship, just in case their situation would connect with some of your listeners.
2: Yeah. Why don't you go ahead and share that?
0: Okay. So, um, one family that is really on my heart, the young woman, she's in her 30s now, mm-hmm. she has a three-year-old son, a husband, of course. Her husband worked as a contractor for NATO as a translator, and he's being actively hunted. So he's moving from one family member's house to another to evade detection. High, high stress level. Yeah. Fight or flight. Um, she's scared because he's in danger. She's in danger. She made an, a, an attempt. She's a courageous woman. She's college educated. She was working at a communications company before the Taliban forbade women to work. And right. she's at home now. Um, she attempted to escape through the airport with her son, but it was when all the chaos was happening. And she was injured. Okay. She was cut with barbed wire. Her son passed out from lack of oxygen. So she returned home um, discouraged. She also, I believe because of the stress she was under, she lost her twins in utero. Jeez. She was forced to be hospitalized and she's being treated for um, a blood clot, but she's extremely resilient. She still wants to be evacuated. Her little family of three needs a sponsor. Okay. And she used to work for me on a project as a translator. I love her. Yeah. I wish I could sponsor her, but I've already sponsored two families. So I'm looking for someone else. Do you want to say, Christy, about a couple other families?
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, another family that, um, that I've been able to have quite a bit of communication with is actually the brother um, of, of, of a person um, that, is, that is on our list. And he was um, a interpreter, you know, a combat interpreter with the Marines, Um, And so he – it's him and his wife, um, and they have four, you know, small children. Um, They – he – you know, I I think he's probably suffered uh, from PTSD, as as unfortunately probably a lot of people in Afghanistan, just just from growing up in a war and stuff like that. Um, But he has been um, just under a lot, you know, of stress. He's he's, he's terrified. There's actually a couple videos um, online that – you know, I, I think they were put together at a time to 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 show you know years ago to show uh, the collaboration b- b- between Afghans and the U.S. and uh, our military. But there's a couple videos of that have him in it, um, and he can't figure out how to get people to take him down, and so he's just very very scared. Wow. Um, you know, we were on the phone, or not the phone, but we were we were messaging. This was back at the end of August or beginning of September, um, and he had gotten. Um, we had come to find out during our conversation um, that so one of the secure messaging apps had actually gotten compromised by, by the Taliban. And so he realized that he had been having communication with a, with a, with his cousin and the Taliban had gotten his phone. And so he, at that moment was like, I have to get out of here. Like, yeah. like I have to flee my house and go somewhere else. Yeah. And so, you know, in the middle of the night, he, you know, got his family, his wife um, and his four kids And, um, you know, again, Jana and I are, are are praying, you know, the whole time that he's able to make it through. And so he did get stopped at a Taliban checkpoint, but, um, you know, he had advised that his wife was sick and they were on their way to the hospital. And so they've actually been, um, you know, similar kind of moving from different houses to houses. And so it's like, they have no stability, right? They have, they have nowhere to go. They have no stability, um, he actually is one of the ones that's had an SIV pending uh, since, you know, for the, for the past four years. Jeez. He did, um, which was really encouraging, um, get an email from the State Department um, in September. However, the email said that, you know, he, he had submitted, and, and I've seen the package. Uh, I think there's four letters of recommendation, there's an HR letter, there, there's all of this stuff. Um, the state department emailed him and said, Hey, we were looking through your paperwork and no one specifically said that they were your supervisor. So even though it was on, you know, Marine Corps, you know, letterhead and all of that stuff, they said, it's not, um, it's no one said they were your supervisor. And so we, we need them to, we need your supervisor to contact us. And tell us that he was your supervisor. Well,
2: how the heck is anybody going to tell us supervisor? And this? So
1: and so, this gentleman was just devastated, right? Because he said, yeah. I lost contact with him." And so I was able to locate his supervisor. You were uh, on social media, and the gentleman actually reached back out to me, and I was able to connect the two of them. Wow! Um, so it was pretty amazing. Um, applause. <laughs> That's right. And so, and so not only, um, was he able to, you know, send an email, you know, verifying that information, but they've also been able to now reconnect, right? Wow. And so they've been able to, 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 to start a friendship again and be able to, to, to support one another. Um, How
2: ecstatic was that Marine that you found him?
1: Um, he was happy, but he was actually also very, um, he, he told me a few days later that the day that I had reached out to him that he for the next few days just felt a tremendous amount of guilt. Oh wow. for not having done anything himself. Wow. Um and so it is a very difficult situation, right? I mean you want to hope and, and think that the process is in place, right? Putting an SIV, you know, he, he had written this man a, a, a letter of recommendation. You want to hope that, that those processes work. Um, and then, you know, unfortunately, sometimes they don't. And so this gentleman and his wife and his uh, four young children, you know, also need a sponsor. Um, and so we would love to be able to help, you know, find find them a sponsor as well. Okay. One other family that we have on
0: our list He's an employee of the U.S. Embassy Mm -hmm. and was heartbroken when his colleagues were evacuated and he was left. So he's um, a target because clearly he's an ally of the United States. He has a wife and two children. So these four people need sponsors for humanitarian parole. They're also um, part of a persecuted minority
1: group. Yeah, and he actually had all the paperwork um, to be evacuated, you know, by, by the government, but was never able to make it through the crowds at the airport to get to the gate.
2: Yeah, those, I mean, those last several days yeah. were just wow, yeah. so, so awful. And uh, here, here's one thing that I would say, even with everything that we know that's going on, I, I feel like we probably only know just the smallest percentage of what's actually going on, what's actually happened. And history will show 10 years from now, 20 mm-hmm. years from now, 30 years from now, especially as people do make it out because survivors always do make it out of the worst situations. Yeah, We know about the Armenian genocide of World War I because somehow people made it out. So people will make it out. So yeah. the que- the question on my mind now for... Any any listeners at any time is going to be, you don't have to do much to do a positive effect in this situation. Yeah. Um, and there's multiple ways of doing it. Really, all you need to do is go to the website as a step where we're going to have all of the links.
3: Yep. At LancelotsRoundTable.com.
2: You're going to be able to go there, find this specific episode, and we're going to have all of the links that we've talked about in this episode and you can go give financially, you can go give part-time, educate yourself, find out what's going on around with this stuff and, uh, Get involved. There's the famous quote that came to my mind, I think, while Jana was talking, all it takes for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. Do nothing. And we can say, we don't have to just say men to do nothing. We can be <laughs> more inclusive. Can do
3: more than nothing.
2: Is for people to do something. Because in our society, yeah. we have the ability and we have resources to do something and we don't need the government
3: right. to yeah. do
2: something. We can actually do something.
3: Yeah. And
2: uh, so in my mind... There's so much political clout stuff, garbage that is bound up in this like a, like a, bio, uh, a big old bundle of wires from the 80s that got put into a, into a tote and put in the attic and now you're trying to get it out. It's, it's that big of a mess when yeah, you talk about yes. the politics involved in this situation. Put your politics aside and to what Christy had said earlier, it really, this kind of thing really is about the people. Yeah. There's people that got stranded there. You could have been that person. Yeah. You could have been over there. Your family could have been over there as a contractor as because there are U.S. citizens over there.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, the U.S. citizens will have an easier time getting out because they don't have to do all this paperwork, I would say. Um, but I cannot imagine being somebody who helped us out while we were over there. Um, and now with their family, a young family, I can't imagine the people that have been giving birth during this amount, mm-hmm. during this time, and now they have young kids and they no longer have a livelihood. You can't even walk outside anymore without danger, severe danger. Yeah. Um, and you don't know how you're going to provide for your for your family, and uh the people that have the ability to get you out aren't there anymore. But there is help. There is help and there is hope. And you guys are a testament to the fact that there is help and there is hope. And this tiny little podcast, anybody that's listening, take an action, take a step, decide to do something positive. Um, anyway, that's my thing. So I want to turn it over to both of you guys, let you guys have any closing thoughts that you have, uh, as we go ahead and look to wrap up this episode. So whoever wants to go first, whatever final words you want to say, you go ahead and then the other person can go. I'm just so thankful
0: Lance and Kim that you have shined a light on this and you know, where our government dropped the ball, we do have a chance yeah. to make a huge difference for these people. And of course we don't do it for this reason, but I have learned that the people we've helped are so grateful. They're going to pray for you every day. Yeah. They're going to love you. They're going to count you as family. Mm-hmm. They're going to bless you for what you've done. You're going to have, if if you reach out, you're going to have people who love you till your dying day because you helped to transfer them from death to life. Wow.
2: That's very well, very well stated.
1: Yeah. And, and I just, you know, one of the things that I constantly um, think about is, you know, and you kind of hit on it too, Lance, is what if it was me? Yeah. Like, what if this was me? Wouldn't I want, like, wouldn't I hope that there would be people in the world that would want to help me? You know, and, and and that really has been the driving factor. Um, you know, you don't have to be an expert um, by any means, right? I, I am in no way an expert. You just you just have to care and love uh, people, yeah, and want to see people. Um, you know, do. Do do better, and um, so yes. Thank thank you guys both um, for letting us uh, come and and really be a voice for the voiceless, right? Yeah. Um. You know they're not free to speak about these things over there. Right. Um. You know they're not allowed to to talk as freely as as Jana and I are here, and so we just we really appreciate the opportunity.
2: Yeah, yeah definitely. It's a pleasure. Yeah, we are definitely happy to have been able to. Do anything, uh, small, large, anything that we were able to do, we definitely wanted to do. So,
1: and I will say one. Can I say one? Yes. Little Please. little yes. thing to that point. Yes. Um, and you can totally edit this out if you want, but I just, <laughs> <laughs> I always think of the starfish story. Okay. okay? And so there's this little story about um, this, th- this old man going down to the beach, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he, he sees this young little boy and there's all these starfish that have been washed up on shore. And the little boy is picking up a starfish and he's throwing it back in the water. And, th- and the man asks him, he says, what are you doing? You can't save all of these starfish. And he says, I can save this one. And he throws it back in the water. Yep. And so that's the kind of heart and the kind of approach that, that we should take to this, right? You can't yeah. help everyone, but if you could sponsor one person or one family or give money to be able to feed someone for a month, yeah, that's a difference, and that matters. Yeah, yeah. massive difference. I
2: don't know why I would edit that out.
1: That <laughs> was beautiful. That was
2: terrible. So that wasn't even cut a it. little bit cut poetic. She,
3: seriously. I got to
2: cut that out, starfish.
3: <laughs> oh, jeez.
2: Well, I can't uh-huh. thank you both enough for agreeing to do this. I thank you so much. I would love it if in a couple months we could maybe do this again. Maybe you guys could bring us up to speed, s- mm-hmm. do a little Where Are They Now episode and tell and us. And you can
0: share with us how many people, sponsored yeah. people through this episode. Yeah, Wouldn't that be amazing? No, we don't have a coupon amazing.
2: code or anything. We they can't track a, it. You
1: coupon get code, coupon, one, two, three, yeah, four. If you, de- <laughs> if
2: you decide to sponsor somebody as a direct result of Lancelot's roundtable, provide this code.
3: Yeah, L-R-T, Put in Starfish. J and K.
2: starfish. starfish.
3: <laughs> yes, Starfish.
2: No, the code obviously be Excalibur.
3: <laughs> obviously.
2: That's a sword from yeah, the legend of Arthur.
3: Okay, <laughs> oh, anyway, so, so
2: thanks everybody for listening. Uh, yeah. I, I think that, you know, in our society, there has been such an outcry for justice. There is some severe injustice happening right now, and you do have a direct ability to... Uh, positively affect the outcome here. And I think that's been made clear by both of what, by what both of you have said. So thank you for your time. Thank you yeah. for your words. Thank you for what you're doing. Christy, thank you for, you know, I've, I've been listening to all the stuff that you've been doing. You guys talked, and so I wanted to have you. So thanks yeah. for agreeing. Thanks thank for bringing you. Jana along. Jana, thank you for joining us over the technologies from yes. South Carolina. And uh, we look forward to hearing uh, more stories in the future and look forward to the positive impact that you guys will continue to have.